This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we'll study the spirit of truth. Jesus leaves his peace, the true vine, greater love, hatred, and persecution. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, as we continue our walk through St. John's Gospel on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily verse-by-verse Bible study on demand at thewordendures.org and on the Lutheran Public Radio app. Well, for centuries, science, even in its infancy, its development, was considered to be not only a product of a Christian worldview, but an ally to the Christian faith. Theology remained the queen of the sciences, but the other sciences were considered to be very dutiful and obedient subjects. No longer is that the popular opinion among those who have made science a religion of their own, or maybe even Christians. But can science, the scientific method, still be an ally to Christianity? Welcome back to Issues Etc. It's part two of our series on a Lutheran response to post-Christian culture. Today we're going to talk science with Dr. Gene Edward Veith. He's provost and professor of literature emeritus at Patrick Henry College, Previously served as culture editor for World Magazine, he's director of the Craddock Institute at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and author of numerous books, including his latest, Post-Christian, A Guide to Contemporary Thought and Culture. Dr. Veith, welcome back. Good to be with you again. How has science itself become, in some ways, a substitute for religion? Well, in the large catechism, in Luther's explanation of the first article about having no other gods before him, Luther said, well, what, is, what does it mean to have a god? He says, whatever you put your faith in, that's your god. Whatever you look to for your ultimate good, that's your god. And so by that criterion today, people often put their faith in science. That's what they trust. I mean, I understand it very much. I mean, I don't know very much about science, but science is going to solve this problem. They look to it for their good. Well, you know, we have these problems. Science will solve them eventually. And so for a lot of people, it's become kind of an excuse to adopt a kind of materialistic worldview that leaves God and the supernatural religion all out of the picture and instead, they put their trust in science, which I think is actually misunderstanding even science. Can science still be an ally of Christianity? Absolutely. In fact, today more than ever, a lot of the issues that I talk about in this book come out of constructivism, the idea that people have that they create their own reality. The truth is not something they discover from outside themselves. It's a truth that they make up, that the culture makes up, and that's right for them. Even their own body, uh, whether you're a male or a female, it, it depends on the inner choice of the person. Science teaches us to accept the outside world and to receive outside reality and outside truth beyond ourselves. And so in that sense, I think science can help us. Science puts us in connection with the creation, which I think is greatly needed today, especially to counter constructivism and all of its 
corollaries. So science can be very important. And here's the thing. In my book, I talk about how different secular ideas change, and sometimes they contradict themselves or they take new forms. Back in the modernist period, in the late 1800s and into the 20th century, it was thought that science was giving all the answers. Max Weber said that science is disenchanting the universe. Okay, before people thought the universe is mysterious and place where God or the gods worked. Science gives an explanation. That's it. It banishes all mystery, all meaning. Everything is just a kind of a mechanical, impersonal reality that just keeps running on its own. Now, though, science has come so far that I think it's re-enchanting nature. Science is coming so far that the more we learn about reality, the creation, the more mysterious it becomes. I talk about things like quantum physics, and there's so much just mind-blowing things that don't fit into our little mechanistic kind of rationalistic sense that we now understand everything and there's not much to it, where if you split two particles, what you do, two subatomic particles, what you do to one immediately affects the other one, even if it's on the other side of the universe. There's nothing touching them. There's nothing, and yet somehow that is has been confirmed to be true. Now, how could that be? It doesn't fit our limited human intellects to even understand things like that. But I think it can help us to understand that the physical world is amazing and mysterious, and that to think of you know, miracles and supernatural reality is not that big of a jump as a lot of the modernists thought it was going to be. We often confuse science and technology. What's the difference between the two? Well, the word science comes from the Latin word scientia, which means knowledge. And so science is knowledge mainly as we use it today, of the natural order. Technology comes from the Greek word techne, which means tools. And so technology is making things, making not just knowing about nature, not understanding nature, science, the sciences department. Technology makes nature do our bidding. It makes things out of nature. It could, it could it often builds on scientific discoveries, but technology is, well, constructivist. You know, the modernists were specialists in uh, science. I think now the postmodernists are specialists in technology because that fits their constructivist worldview. We can construct something that will extend our powers and enable us to deal with things, but it's a different realm, really, than, than science is, even though the one level they often the build on each other. Even ancient thinkers were concerned about the effects of technology. What were their concerns? Well, there's an interesting uh, dialogue, the Phaedrus of Plato, where Socrates is talking about the relatively new invention of books, of writing. And 
Socrates was worried about depending so much on writing as opposed to speaking and books instead of understanding by, by talking to people. He said, first of all, this is going to just take away our memories. The power of memory is just going to be lost. It's really true. I mean, back then, you know, young people were memorizing the Iliad and the Odyssey. Now, our memories are much less than they used to be. It's much more difficult to, to use them because we can store things like the Iliad and the Odyssey in a book, and we can go on the shelf and take it down and read it and uh, to find what we want in it. Socrates also said that the new technology will actually limit our understanding the use of writing, he said that when you read an explanation or read a speech or read someone says, you can't ask questions. Whereas if you talk to a person and you don't understand it, you can ask questions and they'll explain it further. He said writing is the problem of kind of rendering dead words, whereas actually talking to somebody, you can use living words because you can interact with the person, ask questions, go deeper, follow along in the conversation. And of course, Socrates was the master of dialectic, still a great technique in classical education, where you're asking questions and answers and discussion as a way to figure things out. So Socrates never wrote anything down. We're glad that the student Plato did, because we have records of those. But unfortunately, we can't ask Socrates what he meant by something, because he was working and critiquing the new information technology of his day. Now, that doesn't mean reading and writing aren't incredible blessings, because now we can have access to what he said, even though he's been dead for thousands of years. Still, his ideas live. Writing is a way to store knowledge and to store language. And for the same token, you know, we have other technologies, information technologies. The printing press had great implications, making knowledge accessible to anybody who learned to read, which did a lot to sort of shake the old hierarchies and the old medieval Catholic Church and a lot of other things once people could read the scriptures. And now we have the internet and social media and all of these things, which can be used for good very often, but they do change us, and they change the way we think and the way we act, and they have a lot of unintended consequences. In that vein, on the other side of the break, why are we sometimes oblivious to how fundamentally technology changes us? Dr. Gene Edward Veith is our guest. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. There are so many issues throughout all levels of government that smart Christians need to view it as a way to care for our neighbor by making good decisions. Molly Hemingway talking about her joint presentation with her husband, Mark, at the 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The federal government has gotten much more involved in family formation or family destruction, abortion, other issues. And, and there are so many ways in which 
it's important for us to think about how we can defend the weak and vulnerable among us by making good decisions. You can meet and hear journalist Molly and Mark Hemingway making the case for Christian political engagement at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The premier conference for Christian laity is Friday, June 12th and Saturday, June 13th in Chicago. Attendance is limited to 500. Learn more and register at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call 618-223-8385. Daily exercise for the Christian mind. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our school is committed to authentic Lutheranism, the entire Book of Concord, and indeed to authentic Lutheranism as it has continued to be confessed and practiced through the centuries right up into our own time. Dr. Cameron McKenzie, chairman of the Department of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're committed then to biblical, confessional Christianity and Lutheranism and applying it to the world of today in as effective a way as we can. You can find out more about studying for the pastoral ministry at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu, ctsfw.edu, or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's part two of a series on a Lutheran response to post-Christian culture. Today we're talking about science with Dr. Gene Edward Veith. And before the break, you were talking about the way technology changes us so fundamentally. Why are we sometimes oblivious to that? Well, what happens is that human beings have limits, and technology, as well as all of our tools, help us to transcend our limits. So human beings, think back in the ancient, ancient time, human beings are relatively weak compared to a lot of the creatures in the animal kingdom. So they developed the technology of weapons, which enabled us to defend ourselves and to be strong, even when that means uh, attacking other people. Human beings are delicate. We can't handle cold or heat very well. So we, you know, invented, developed clothing, and you know, now more recently, air conditioning and heating, which makes our lives much, much easier. Human beings can't run that fast, really, for long distances. So we invented chariots and later ships and trains and automobiles and airplanes, which allow us to transcend our limits so that we can go almost anywhere in the world now. And so technology, the information technology gives us access to information and connections with other people in a very easy way. I mean, that changes us. We, we have a need for human interaction, and we're limited by how many people we can know, you know in our own little, little circles. Information technology today lets us break out of that, but now we have social media, and for a lot of people, that's 
their community. And they're not involved with where they actually live or with real human beings. They're involved with the Internet world. You know, we have friends on Facebook, and they use that term, that we've never met or don't know. And in a way, that can be good in that we some of those friendships are very real, even though we haven't met those people in, in person. But you also have the phenomena now of when you're not with someone individually, it's it's harder to develop empathy and care for them. And so you have vicious, vicious attacks also on social media. You have people constructing their own truth. So you have you know, fake news, fake information. It's hard for us to tell what's true and what's false, what's real and what's made up. You have the problem of people on social media attacking each other. I mean, you have the, you know, the small town pressure of, and you have, you know, the gossip and the peer pressure and uh, social controls where people don't dare step out of line because they might, somebody might see them and that would be embarrassing. And, and that's, can be very wholesome in real life in the virtual world in virtual reality, as they say, it's a reality that's not really real, but in, in the virtual communities of social media, all of those things are, are just accelerated and made even stronger. And so you have just Twitter mobs, you know, silencing people, people destroying other people's reputation. And it, again, has a lot of, kind of negative consequences, too. One of the places where science and indeed technology have taken on that religious role is in the alarmism of the environmental movement. How do you reconcile this constructivist idea that we are masters of our reality with that alarmism in the environmental movement? Well, I think this is one of those contradictions that contemporary thought has run into. We're constructivists, and yet the same constructivists who create their own truth are sure that we're going to destroy the world and that nature uh, will be will be destroyed because of what we do. The modernist, and, and you picture that the scientist, is looking at nature, trying to understand it. And the model of that, to do that, the human mind has to separate itself from nature. It has to be at a, at a distance so that it can be observed, and though the human being is detached from nature, the constructivists are also detached from nature, but they believe that they are kind of creating it. Again, you, you have a picture of trying to be gods. Well, the modernist god is sort of like the deistic god who's looking and observing the universe without interfering with it. The constructivists are like a god who's trying to create things. The environmentalists, to their credit, and this is something that we can learn from them, are trying to get nature back. They're recognizing the importance of nature, physical reality, and so on. But they, too, assume that human beings are detached from nature. And 
notice for them, nature is, you know, trees and forests and mountains and wildlife. But if man gets into the picture, oh, that's not nature. That's not natural. Man harms nature. Man is also detached from nature, but also in a godlike way to destroy nature. And so, again, there's that detachment, whereas the Christian view speaks not just of nature, but of creation. Human beings are part of creation, part of a physical, objective, real order. And so human beings are subject to that order. Today, it's not just environmental problems and rejecting nature, it's things like opposing having children, abortion, those things are so anti-nature because one of the rules of nature is to procreate and to have children. And so they go to so much effort to prevent that shows how, how alienated we really are from just nature, creation, reality itself. And so there are many other things. The idea of that we have bodies. I think we're going to talk about that another time. But this transgenderism, the idea that we construct our own gender identity and our bodies have nothing to do with that. It's a serious thing to reject nature. And the problem is the environmentalists are doing that in just another way and in a way that allows them to still have a lot of these other constructivist ideas. But the view that we can destroy nature, again, puts human beings over and above the created order and with everything that that implies. We're talking with Dr. Gene Edward Veith about science in our series with him on a Lutheran response to Christian culture. We'll be right back. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview. You're listening to Issues Etc. Many Lutheran pastors outside of the U.S. receive little or no seminary education. Luther Academy provides theological triage through conferences, books, and journals. Help support Luther Academy by making a tax-deductible donation at lutheracademy.com or call 260-452-2211. Serving Lutheran pastors to the ends of the earth. Luther Academy, 260-452-2211 or lutheracademy.com. We can thank Hillary Clinton in 2016 for the worst platform language in the history of the platform language. (laughs) And it was clear she didn't want to vote. So uh, I guess she got what she asked for. You can't make the mistake of letting the power of the gospel deny the accountability of the human being to resist and reject what God gives. You reference some obscure piece of data, you sort of cite your credentials for the fact that you're an expert on this, and then you just hope that nobody calls your bluff. For many, politics is becoming their religion, both on the right and on the left. And I think that it's important that we recognize that this is ultimately a spiritual battle. You can listen and cast your votes now for Issues Etc. Soundbite of the Week. We'll play in about a half hour. We've got soundbites from Kristen Day responding to Pete Buttigieg's answer to her question about pro-life Democrats. A soundbite from Dr. Joel Bierman on hell and the appeal of universalism. 
a soundbite from Pastor Hans Feeney responding to Joe Rogan's Jesus mushroom theory, and soundbite number four, Pastor Chris Eskett on why he preaches the sermon before the March for Life. You can vote by giving us a call in a half hour, one 877 ie sending us an email, talkback at issuesetc.org, a tweet at issuesetc, or at our Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash issuesetc. It's part two of a series on a Lutheran response to post-Christian culture. Today, we're talking about science with Dr. Gene Edward Veith. He's author of numerous books, including his latest, Post-Christian, A Guide to Contemporary Thought and Culture. Dr. Veith, you write extensively about Johann George Hamann. Why is he significant? Yeah, well, he lived in the middle of the 1700s, and at the time, he was very well-known and very influential, but he was completely forgotten, and he's recently been discovered by the secularist world, by secularist philosophers and thinkers, and they're saying that Haman shows us a way forward. A lot of people are recognizing that if everything is a construction, where do you go from there? Uh, you can't learn anything. You can't make new discoveries because there are no discoveries. And that modernism and postmodernism are dead ends. So what do you do? Well, a uh, number of people have rediscovered this 18th century thinker who shows the limitations of reason as the postmodernists do. So he, he's, he, he critiques what became modernism, the age of reason, that reason could know everything. But he does it in a way that also critiques constructivism, which was just now getting started back at that time. And he's anticipating a lot of the issues that people are struggling with now and showed a way forward. Now, the thing is, Haman was a devout Lutheran Christian. And some people now are realizing that, wait a minute, his critique of reason is basically a very sophisticated application of Luther's point that we can't depend on reason for everything, that we need faith, that even scientists need faith to carry out their studies. His view of language is based on Luther's theology of the Word of God, that we can only know God by His Word, but that Word is revelatory we can depend on it. And point after point, it's like Haman is anticipating issues that wouldn't really come to the fore till three centuries later, but he's showing a way forward. And thing is, he is a Lutheran Christian, and the way he does that is by an application of Christianity in some very fresh, original ways. And so... Some of us Christians are very excited at this discovery of Haman, and we're discovering him too. Right now I'm working with uh, John Kleinig on a translation of Haman's London writings, which are his most theological writings, where he tells about his conversion to Christianity, when he tells about what he's learning in Scripture, when he gives his, his thoughts about Jesus Christ and how ultimately all knowledge 
comes together in him. It's astonishing. And that hasn't been translated into English yet. This will be the first chance. John's translating it, and I'm, I'm serving as the editor for that project. But I'm very excited that here's kind of a new ally with some fresh ways of thinking about issues that apply today, and that even the secularist thinkers are recognizing is the way forward. One of them said that both modernism and postmodernism lead to nihilism. But Haman, his way, his alternative, is the only way forward. And I don't know the extent to which that scholar realized that his way forward really is biblical Christianity, as understood by the Lutheran confessions. So with a few minutes here, Dr. Veith, what in particular do you find in Haman that you think serves as a way forward in a post-Christian age? Well, I just came back from the symposium at Fort Wayne, and one of the topics was uh, the atonement and how a lot of Christian theologians today, including some Lutherans, are rejecting the substitutionary atonement. And as I listened to those critiques, I kept remembering Haman. Haman says, the problem is we often turn God, as well as a lot of other things, into just abstractions. And the critics of the atonement are saying things like, God is righteous, and so God would not punish Jesus for the sins of other people. That would not be against his righteousness. Well, Haman talks about, he said, we we must not approach God primarily through his attributes. His attributes, yes, he's righteous, he's omnipotent, he's all of these things. We have to approach him through his word. And he, he says things like, God loves us so much. He wanted to save us so much that he sacrificed his own righteousness in refusing to punish us and pouring out his wrath on his son. Now, he is righteous, but it's a deeper righteousness. It's a righteousness beyond our comprehension. But we have to know what he's done for us to really understand his righteousness. So many Christians, including these theologians, are trying to turn God into an abstraction and then make find contradictions and, and other things and reason on that basis. But Haman sees God as a person. Haman is focusing, too, on the importance of the physical world. We are human beings. We The importance of the senses, importance of solid reality. Again, so much of postmodernism is just a rebellion, not just against God, but a rebellion against reality. And Haman shows how important that is to the point that God comes to us in terms of that reality. God, not just let himself be an abstraction, he became incarnate in Jesus Christ. God comes to us by means of water in baptism, with bread and wine in Holy Communion, in the teachings of a pastor, in the book of the Bible, paper and ink of the Bible, in a local church. 
And I think he can be very helpful in kind of reorienting us to understand our place in this creation, to help us remember who God really is and what a God really is and and the implications of that, and to understand his love for us and his redemption for us in Christ. With about 30 seconds here, Dr. Veith, next time we're going to be talking about the body in a post-Christian age. Give us a very brief preview. Well, just as we're alienated from nature, we become alienated with our bodies. And the sexual revolution back in the in the 60s has come and developed and created just all kinds of havoc. And the good news is that some people are realizing the havoc that it's caused and looking for something better. But Christians, too, I think, have kind of forgotten about the body in a way that scriptures speak of the body in ways that I think can really help us to recover kind of who we really are and what that implies and how we should treat our bodies. Dr. Gene Edward Reith is Provost and Professor of Literature Emeritus at Patrick Henry College. He previously served as Culture Editor for World Magazine. He's Director of the Cronach Institute at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and author of numerous books, including his latest, Post-Christian, A Guide to Contemporary Thought and Culture. You can purchase this book at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Dr. V, thank you. You're welcome. Good to talk with you. One of the advantages of hosting our Making the Case conferences at Concordia University, Chicago, is the ability for attendees to stay in the on-campus dorms. You can avoid Chicago traffic and save up to $100 per day. Daily dorm prices range from $45 to $80. The 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case conference is Friday, June 12th and Saturday, June 13th in Chicago. Find out more and register at issuesetc.org or by calling 618-223-8385. Make it the case, June 12th and 13th at Concordia University, Chicago. Joy Pullman, managing editor of The Federalist, joins us on the other side to talk about two issues. Two big banks are defunding school choice in Florida, and the U.S. Attorney General William Barr has a testy relationship with the media. Stay tuned. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words when necessary. I prefer St. Paul who says faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And that's what the February issue of the Lutheran Witness is all about, hearing and believing. It includes articles about hearing with your eyes, singing the gospel, listening to the word of God in sermons, and proclaiming the gospel in foreign lands. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe today. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world, from a Lutheran perspective, cph.org witness. Did you know that many LCMS military personnel and their families are unable to receive word and sacrament ministry due to the lack of LCMS chaplains? Ministry to the Armed Forces is looking for pastors who will answer the call to serve as a chaplain to provide word and sacrament ministry to the men and women who selflessly serve our nation. Find out more about this exciting ministry by contacting me, Chaplain Craig Mueller, at lcmschaps at lcms.org. That is lcmschaps at lcms.org. Where Christianity meets culture, 
You're listening to Issues Etc. If you're looking for a good Lutheran church in Scarsdale, New York, one that has sound teaching based on the Word of God and takes pride in the confessions, look no further than Trinity Lutheran Church in Scarsdale, New York, where every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. we have Bible study and Sunday school, followed by the service at 10. Again, good liturgical confessional worship by the grace of God. Find us at trinityscarsdale.org. Do you need a home, car, wedding, or student loan in 2020? Check out Lutheran Federal Credit Union. During January, when you open a Lutheran FCU loan to meet your financial needs, or when you use your Lutheran FCU credit card for a qualifying amount of purchases, Lutheran FCU will give you cash back and give that same amount of money to their Ministry of the Month, LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces. Learn more at LutheranFCU.org. Lutheran FCU. Good for you. Good for the church. LutheranFCU.org. The Substitute Organist Service, aptly abbreviated SOS, really has come to our rescue. Pastor Jim Holowatch of Christ Lutheran Church in Jackson, Mississippi. With the ever-growing shortage of skilled musicians in our community, we were approaching a real crisis. But thanks to the Substitute Organist Service, help is always just minutes away. With its easy, intuitive interface, friendly customer service, and outstanding musicianship, you really couldn't ask for more. You can find out more about the Substitute Organist Service at churchmusicsolutions.com. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com.